All right, if you guys have a Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And if you guys would pray this prayer with me, then I'm going to read the text, and then uh, we're just going to jump right in, if, if that's all right with you guys. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up their dead who were in it Death and Hades gave up, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you guys uh, know me well enough by now. I don't really like to talk about hell very much. It's not my favorite topic. It's never uh, been a focus of mine. But, and today I actually don't really want to talk about hell either, except to explain why I don't want to talk about it, why I don't bring it up all the time. So, in that, we're going to talk about it a little bit. But over the years, I have seen hell used as a fear tactic to scare people. I've seen it time and time again to scare people into heaven or maybe even scare people out of hell. And I've watched those new Christians who were scared into heaven live lives of fear. They haven't necessarily tasted and seen the goodness of God that we just sung about because they're scared. They're scared of God. They're scared that God might do something bad to them. And I believe the, sometimes the motives of the, the preachers who have used this as a fear tactic I think sometimes they're okay. Sometimes it's out of innocence and not knowing any better. But fear is not our motivation as Christians. This is not our motivation as Christians. We are motivated by God's love, His kindness, His grace, His forgiveness. All those things are what motivate us. And I've heard a number of Christians over the year say that if it wasn't for hell, I'd not be motivated to live for God. And as it turns out, those Christians who believe this way seem to be, have, or seem to, to me at least, have their lives governed by fear of not getting this Christian life done correctly. As if, and I firmly believe that the heart behind grace presupposes that we won't get it done correctly and that we can live without fear because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus for us. We are motivated by God's love, not the fear of hell. And I've seen and heard preachers who love the idea of hell more than they love the idea of God's grace. And they preach hell with more fervor than I would think should be expected. Because the scriptures talk about God's grace and His love far more than they talk about hell. And I've seen mean folks, and I, I think they're mean, get excited that some persons might burn forever in a pit of burning fire. And they just get super excited about it. When, over and over, God tells us that He is love. That God is love. 
And that when God's, and in God's love, he has told us through the scriptures that he wishes that none would perish. That is why he sent Jesus to stand in our place. And I've seen um, the, the theology of hell be massively divisive in the church as well. There are really smart and godly people who have a number of different views of hell. In fact, I believe within Orthodox Christianity, from the time it was, you know, from the time Jesus left to now, there's probably four really solid views on hell. And then there's a, a couple others that I think maybe, like, you know, you, you never know. And all of them have their scriptural verses to prove their points. And it seems that all the scriptures are used in context. And in my mind, it is at best, um, I, instead of calling it a theology of hell, it's a, it's a speculation on the theology of something that we can't fully know. We can't fully know. As finite humans, we don't know what lies before us, just as we cannot know what tomorrow holds. We may have our plans, and we have our guesses, but we really don't know, and we get to make room for the surprise and mysteries that God wants to give into our lives. And maybe it's because I've seen it used as a scare tactic. Maybe it's because I've seen the fear of hell direct a Christian, Christian's life more than the love of God does. I've seen this over and over. And when we as Christians are led by fear, we are unable to live into the fullness that God has for us. We, and I've seen hell used as a primary focus for some folks for far too long and, uh, and by far too many people. And hell and, and its escape is not to be our focus. In fact, I believe that in its, um, it's hell's avoidance in any uh, form that it may take will look like the natural repercussions of simply following Jesus. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will avoid hell. Whatever it may look like. Whatever you want to believe about it. Jesus' love and His grace and His mercy are our motivations. We don't live by fear, but we live in the freedom that God's grace can provide for us. And men, like many theological points here at Grace and Mercy Church, I want us each as individuals or as family units or as however you want to do it, I want you to have the freedom to believe what you'd like about hell. I, I think that you can believe what you like. Like I said, there are verses and there are ideas that seem right and good for people's points of views. And not only that, be willing to have those views shifted. I know good and godly people who have had their views on different theological points shift as the years go, sway back and forth. And I think that's okay. But I will say this. I pray that hell never becomes a divisive point of contention in our church, ever. That I pray that hell may never become the focus of this church, even if it's the avoidance of it but that we may set our eyes on Jesus, walk step by step, and follow Him, and as we are told, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all this other will be added to us. And so I pray that we may do that. And here's why. Because the truth is, is that fear is a great motivator. It's a great motivator. But in the kingdom of God, fear is never to be our motivation. It is God's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. 
It is, is love that keeps us in a place where we can keep repenting. It is by His grace that we will avoid hell in whatever form it appears in. And I pray and I hope that I'm not dodging the question of hell. That's not my heart. But rather in humility, I'm urging us to seek God's kingdom first. To put His kingdom above anything that we may fear. I'm urging us to actually keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and follow Him no matter what. And I, I have my thoughts on hell. I, I could discuss, I could actually argue for probably three of the four or five points on hell. And, and But I hold them in an open hand. And I think if I were to preach my views on hell as absolutes, I believe that it would be doing a disservice to us as a body of Christ. Because it hasn't happened yet. And in this text today, we have... Uh, some something else that's another potential topic that might bring fear, and that is God's judgment. God's judgment is there. We must we must know that all judgment does belong to God. All salvation belongs to Him. All judgment belongs to Him. And this is right, and this is good, and He will judge in uh, in accordance to His character. His full character is in task. Intact. In fact, I was just thinking, we just sing, I've tasted and seen of the sweetness of love, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. In your presence, Lord, and in that presence, we will also be judged with that same taste that we have seen, that sweetness that we have seen. And this, and this throne that we see God judging from is a white throne. And white is a symbol for pure holy, clean. It's, a, it's also a symbol for victorious, that God is victorious and He's without fault. This throne and the one who sits on it is worthy to judge all mankind. And we've all heard the saying that only God can judge me, right? And usually people use that so they can just do whatever they want and you can't say anything about it. That's fine, people can use that. But here, we do see Him doing that judgment. We actually see God, and, and where it's not a flippant thing, God is actually going to judge. We must all know that all, our, all judgment belongs to God, and that this is right, and that He will judge, and He will judge us with all His character intact. And, um, and as He was, He will be, and He will be forever. And we've seen this from God, as we will see it in His judgment. I think about the Psalms. We spent you know, four and a half years in the Psalms praying them over and over that God would bring His judgment and His justice down. That He would point out areas where we've fallen short and, that, and He does that from a white throne. A place of purity and victory. A, a, a pure and worthy throne to judge from. And God is just and we must rely on His justice. God is love, and we must also rely on His love. God is good, and we must also rely on His goodness. And this is right. He will judge. And the earth and heavens will fade away, and we must rely on God for His just and true judgment over us. God in His judgment has brought everybody before Him. It's not just the leaders. It's not just Young people or old people, great and small. Dead, uh, dead people that have been dead for a long time and then will be there. And people that are alive at His coming will be there. 
The earth gives up its dead, and we will rise to meet with God face to face. And everyone from all time, all history, will be there, and we will have to give an account. We will have to give an account for what we've done with the life that God's given us. He's given us this gift. And God will have books open before Him. We're not sure what all the books are, but one of them that we know is the book of life. The book that contains the name of those who will dwell with God forever and ever. And can you imagine, I, I was thinking about this, if your life was put in a book. All your deeds were recorded and then everything that you've done, everything that you've thought, everything that you've said, everything that you've purchased, everything that you've looked at, uh, everything that you've done gets read before God. It just gets opened up. There's no disputing with it. And I wonder if the New Testament was written today, if it would be like God would have a, a, like a streaming service or something where He could just watch a movie uh, of your life. That's it, by, if, in my vision, this is stored in a heavenly cloud. Because I'm a dad. so. But God gets to where God gets to read or watch our deeds, watch our life. We, he will have written proof of how we lived. Day in, day out, moment by moment. And I think that this is kind of scary. Well, certain moments are scarier than others, right? But again, it's not meant to cause us fear. The Scriptures have told us elsewhere that things were going to get written down. That we'd have to give an account. We are warned time and time again, but we are also encouraged to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received in Jesus. And yet, there is a wage for sin, or there's a payment, or there's what we deserve for our sin. And what we deserve, that, that payment is death. And, what is this, and that's what this passage in Revelation is talking about. We stand before God, our book is open, and I pray that we don't get what we deserve. Amen? I pray that we don't get what we deserve. And that is what Jesus' life was all about, is that we don't get what we deserve. It wasn't about fairness or, or reap and sow rewards. It was about grace and debt forgiveness. In Colossians 2, 13-15, it mentions this ledger. It mentions this thing that is written against us. And it reminds us that there are legal demands required for this ledger. But it reminds us more of Jesus. Let me read it. Second Corinthians, or, or I'm sorry, Colossians 2, uh, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. We were dead. But God made us alive through the grace given to us by Jesus. And according to this, we will have the book open only to have our faults erased by what Jesus did for us. It would be as if the court, the court documents were given, the accusations were brought against us, but they were blank. There was nothing there because Jesus stands in their place. They were dipped in the blood of Jesus and when we're dipped in the blood of Jesus, we come out clean. Amen? We come out clean. We know we've done wrong. 
But forgiveness for all our trespasses is given to us and its legal status has no power over us. This is the power of Jesus, what He did on the cross. He took these sins away from us and nailed them to the cross. This is why as Christians, we act out repentance and we try to live in forgiveness. We repent because we know we make mistakes. And then in Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And that's what we want. We want this to be erased. We, we want it to be blotted out. Our deeds will be judged, but not without Jesus. When we admit that we need help, and when help is found in Jesus, we are in a good place. We believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we live lives of repentance because, as, uh, because we screw up perfection. And we recognize this and ask God forgiveness. And then He always forgives us. It's never too late to for- be forgiven. And it's never too much forgiveness. Jesus realizes human weakness and has overcome it for us. He doesn't get tired of having us rely on Him. That is what we get to do in, in, in at all times and in every situation. He wants us to learn that, uh, that we are not of our own understanding, but we rely on Him for His grace. And He wants us to live for Him with the freedom that that grace provides. When I know, uh, this is just me, but when I know screwing up is permitted, when I know it's okay to make mistakes, I get to live in the fullness of life that Jesus has provided for me in those moments. A full and free life full of love and grace and forgiveness. We can live into that. But I'll say this, when we are led by fear, whether that's being led by fear of hell or fear of judgment or feel uh, there's a million other fears that we can have like fears of being wrong, fears of what might happen, fear of what somebody may or may not say or do to us. We are allowing that life that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us by to be stifled when we live in fear. Fear can be helpful and keep us safe. There's, there is a healthy type of fear, right? Like uh, mine is at least 10 feet back from any cliff. Like just stand back. Don't, don't get any, any closer. There's, there's a healthy type of fear, but not as a motivator. When we live out of fear, it does a real number on our head and our heart. If we we fear being wrong, then we live to do everything correctly. And in rational thought, when we're outside of that, we know that perfection in life is not obtainable. Even though the verse says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and Jesus, when He said that, He isn't heaping on us an impossible task. He's showing us the type of perfection that is needed and pointing us how we will never obtain it. And then when we will never obtain it, we know that we need God's grace that is provided for us in Jesus. We know that we need it. And because Jesus was perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we strive to live holy lives because we know that our holiness comes from Jesus. Fear can affect our mental physical and spiritual well-being and it can take away life away from us that Jesus wants to give us in abundance. 
It can take our focus off Jesus. And when we do that, we miss out on many of the gifts that God intends to give to us. The type of fear is healthy, could also be called an awareness. It can be called an awareness. We are aware that God is bigger than us. Amen? We are aware that our need is dependent on Him. And so we listen to Him. We obey Him. We are aware that if we wander away, God will not wander away from who He is. And that if we wander away, we can repent and once again follow Jesus. And we can do this time and time again. Not that we should continue to sin, that's never the point. But that we can live into the holiness that God has for us. As we will be judged, let us rely on Jesus. Let us rely on Him. In this life, we get to practice reliance on Jesus. And in that, in that practice, we live into the fullness that God has for us. I pray for us here at Grace and Mercy Church that we may never be ruled by fear. Not little or great fears. That in the areas where we give in to fear that we may repent and turn away from fear and live into the freedom and love that Jesus has provided. That way, when the book is opened and the works that Jesus has planned for us will be plainly seen by God and we will be rewarded accordingly. So let us live into the love that Jesus has for us and not the fears of hell and not the fears of judgment. Jesus, I pray that we may live into your freedom and not out of fear. In Jesus' name, amen.